The Rough Drafts Podcast is sponsored by Unicorn.com, the world's premier eSport betting site. Log on today to bet on all your favorite eSports titles at the simple click of a button. Choose your game, choose your team, earn Unicorns, and who knows, maybe you'll earn enough to enter to win any number of fabulous prizes, such as Logitech peripherals or CSGO skins in their marketplace. Unicorn.com. Log on today. Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. I am a free agent, head coach, and analyst, as well as a contributor at Slingshot Esports. And welcome to the EU Regionals edition of the Guess the Lions Rough Drafts podcast presented by Slingshot. We're at the regional finals, ladies and gentlemen. The playoffs are done. Two of our three seeds have stamped their passport to Worlds and are working on their American visas as we speak. And we've got four more teams fighting for one final spot at this tournament. And you know what? I can't think of anyone I'd rather break down both last week's incredible series of finals matchups and this week's regional tournament than my good friend and co-host, Walter Ciedis Fetchuk. Walter, how are you doing, man? I'm, I'm doing okay. Were they really, like, incredible series, though? Okay. Are they actually incredible? In- incredible. It depends on whether or not you took any of our smart money bets. Because we listened to the stats on one bet, and we ignored the stats on the other, and we lost both. Uh, for the first time, we had an 0-2 week in Europe. Uh, sorry, we really thought that Splice was going to come through. Uh, we forgot the trick is a god amongst men when it comes to shot calling and delivering his team to victory. And, of course, we had Unicorns of Love over H2K Gaming because that's what Stats with Steve told us to do. And we were wrong, and that's okay. We're still $809 in the black when it comes to Europe, so we can take that hit and move on with our lives. But I feel I feel like in the off season we're gonna have to re rethink about what smart money means because even <laughs> though we might get like not positive odds on something like H two K winning a series, sometimes you just have to say, well, yeah, no, no, duh, that's obvious. Like, of course, that's what's gonna happen. That's what your bet is. Well, like, we had H two K minus one and a half, and then we balked because the stats said that was a terrible idea. Yeah. In the words of Steve, quote, I would never take that bet. And for the record, this is not to throw Steve Kaffmeyer under the bus. He's a, a wonderful friend of the show, and we're so happy that we had him on the podcast during the semifinals and the finals. Absolutely. It's just one of those things where I think what the ultimate lesson of last week was the model doesn't mean anything when the sample size is so low. And the truth is that the lack of lane swaps has completely changed the meta. We're looking at an entirely different world in which teams are able to play mostly entirely different strategies, and we're seeing it time and time again come into play. And it led to some of the results we saw this week. And let's start with the third place game, H2K versus Unicorns of Love. Walter, what was your biggest takeaway from this series? 
Forgiven's making worlds. <laughs> we get to see the Greek freak. I, I no, I can't steal. I can't steal Giannis Antetokounmpo's nickname here. We get to see Forgiven at Worlds. Like you don't understand how exciting this is for me. I almost <laughs> want to buy a ticket to San Francisco just so I can see him play on the world stage. Like that's awesome. I'm so stoked for that. It further showed to me that. Forgiven has definitely matured since mm-hmm. last split. Uh, you know, playing a lot of Sivir. He played Ash, which was one of those things where we're like, yeah, Forgiven playing Ash. Like, <laughs> like that'll never happen. Mm-hmm. And and sure, yeah, the, the Forgiven-Ash game was, was a loss, but uh, he was playing very well in that lane. And, and overall, I think it was just they lost some of the pressure coming out of the jungle. That was the one game that Move actually had a pretty exceptional game. Um, and and they really played very well around the pressure he was able to exert. But for the rest of the series, it was it was really about Yankos and the solo laners getting ahead and allowing Forgiven to basically play two v two bot lane. And that was one of the biggest mistakes that I think Unicorns of Love made was the dude actively complains about when he has to play you know two v three two v four. Like there is a the Taylor Swift meme with Forgiven like. Oh, nothing. Just four v two v four bot lane. Like that is an active meme. You have to tilt him. You have to go after him. Mm-hmm. And they basically told Veritas and Hillasad, like, "All right, here's one of the greatest two v two laners in League of Legends history. Go have fun with that. Move is gonna randomly wander around the jungle doing nothing." And it <laughs> looked like it. It looked like Forgiven was having the time of his life, stomping on this, quite honestly, this underclassed eighty carry in Veritas, and. You know, they were playing two different games. They were playing 3v3 in, in the top and the mid in the jungle and playing 2v2 in the bot lane. And H2K was better at the 2v2, so that's an automatic win for them. And all they had to do was beat them in the 3v3, and that's what they did in three of these games. So um, I'm super excited. I get to watch Forgiven um, you know, play at Worlds. This is sort of cleaning up his legacy a, a bit, especially with the fact that he was playing utility 80 carries for the most part of this uh, of this playoffs, and uh, it looks like he's really matured, except on Twitter where then he you know brings up all the salty tweets from the past and like yeah, so keep the banter going, lad. You deserve it. Look, forgiven as a social media slash actual person and forgiven as a player are two things that in my personal life I've just had to divide as the two separate entities. Because his personal life does not affect the fact that he is one of the most fun players on the Rift when he's playing well. And that Tristana game was just beautiful. They gave him one game. They're like, you know what, Forgiven? Have fun. Go carry. It's like having a dog that's usually stuck in a backyard and then taking him out to like a massive farm where he can roam and play around and whatever and just like, have your day. And he just went wild. And I, I think if I had to guess why this happened. I would say that I think Unicorns of Love probably bought too much into the Visichachi hype. He single-handedly won them a lot of those games when you looked at the Giant series. He was the second team All-Pro for a reason. He's a very good individual player, and Oduamne is a guy that was more team utility for the split. But It just meant that they kept giving him the Shen, especially on, you know, second rotations for three of these four games. It's like they just didn't understand 
how that was going to affect their strategy. If your goal is like, look, we need visit Chachi on a carry top laner so we can stop Oduwamne, that's a great plan. I can get behind that plan. But then you give Shen away, which basically means he has teamfight utility, means he's super tanky, so it's really hard to get solo kills, means he has all this global advantage with the double teleports. That's like the one thing you can't do if that's your plan. It... I don't know what their idea was behind that, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I love saying, you know, Forgiven made it to Worlds, that's awesome. Yankos is going to Worlds and Vander is going to Worlds. Personally, as a Rocket fan, it makes my heart warm to see, you know what, they left, it, it, it hurt, but their sacrifice, my, my sacrifice as a fan of having to see them move on, it was not in vain. They found their way into the world where I always thought they deserved a shot. And they just couldn't do on that old Rocket team. But the key to me this series was Ryu. And Ryu got the MVP of the series for a reason. He just styled on Exile. And I think it was Steve, you know, to give him credit on the other side. You know, he said, oh, Exile can't play Cassiopeia. This series is over. And that's what it really came down to is Ryu had free reign on whatever it is he wanted to do. His game one Cassiopeia was insane. His Vladimir was astonishing, and they really had just no counter to it. And his Talia was something that I didn't even think was that great of an idea given the composition that they picked it into. And he made it work, and he made it look effortless. And if you're looking at what could make H2K a team that could sneak out of a group... Because that is ultimately the goal here at the end of the day. I think it's Ryu stepping up and being that player alongside Yankos and Forgiven doing Yankos and Forgiven things that's really going to be the difference maker. Is there anything else that we really need to dissect here? Did we learn anything about Unicorns of Love that that worries you going forward? Or are they just kind of the team that... Kind of expect to fall down in these kinds of situations. I mean, I'm just going back and looking at the scoreboards here while we're talking, and uh, apparently, Duskblade of Drakthar on Lucian third item is a thing. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm, no, no, Veritas. No, it's it's not. I literally had to go check the the, the items match history because there, I was like, there's no possible way anyone else has ever built this item, and nope, it's it's literally Jin Gangplank. There's one Hecarim game and one Graves game, and both of those were in the sea or the Korean Challenger region. So, yeah. Um, and, and the best part is they didn't even pick it in game two. Like, he's played Lucian both of those games. The one he won as Lucian, he did a good build. Just, it's I, like he knew what to do and chose wrong anyway. So, little fun fact for your bar trivia. Yeah, Veritas built Duskblade of Drakthar in game four of the 2016 summer third place match against H2K. Um, that was that was very bizarre. Uh, no, for, in terms of unicorns of love, they were they were exactly who we thought they were. You know, Move is a jungler that does not really understand his jungle pathing. It would probably do a lot of good to have Emily Rand, you know, kind of come in and, and talk to him about what effective jungle pathing is, since we know that that's her big thing. And she even jokingly tweeted out something to about you know, oh, I had so much fun with all the score people that were in Toronto, you know, sorry I've talked so much about jungle pathing. Like, mm-hmm. no, that's awesome. People need to be specialized in that. And Emily, if you don't want to write for the score anymore, just contact Unicorns of Love and be like, I can fix move. Because um, <laughs> his jungle pathing was absolutely horrible. And 
and their macro decision making again it's just it's awful like they get through kind of this mid game and then they get to this point where they're like well uh i guess we team fight well when do we team fight i don't know let's just fight and it's kind of it's kind of a very like mutated and bastardized version of do dive where they're just like let's just fight it's not a good team fight we have no flank Eh, screw it. And it seems like Chachi's the only one that tries to make any sort of like intelligent style play of like, no, okay, okay I'm going to TP in. Oh, oh no, I'm going to flash in. Like, mm-hmm. it's just very, their fighting is just very, very awkward. And it seems like their shot calling isn't very efficient in that sort of mid late game period. And that's really where they fell apart against HGK. And for the record, I'm not sure H2K was any better at that than their loss in game two. It really felt like this game could be decided by uh, who's ahead at 15 minutes? Oh, that's the team that wins. That was all this series was. It never felt like anyone was making comebacks. It never felt like there were these huge pendulum swings. And the way I always like to judge that is look at the highlight videos that Anivia puts out every week. Because I always watch the games and then I watch the highlights before I get on the podcast just to, you know, refresh myself. And I'm going to give shout outs to Anivia because they do spoiler free highlights for all these things. And I'm not paid to do that. I just think Anivia is a really great uh, site for that kind of thing. But all of those videos were like three and a half minutes long because once one team got ahead, it was over. And that is the concern for H2K Gaming as much as it is for Unicorns of Love as we start to watch them in this regionals bracket, they don't know what to do when they're behind. See, and, and that's and that's what I said previewing this match, was that they both both teams have that issue. Mm-hmm. It's just H2K is a little better at it, and they're much better in the laning phase. They're just stronger across the board. They're more talented across the board. And, and that's exactly it. And again, I think a lot of that has to do with just giving up Shen for free three times in a way that mm-hmm. will never make sense to me. It seemed like that, that and, and the fact that Exile's mid lane champion pool is limited, honestly, is, is the other thing that no one wants to talk about, but it's a legitimate problem moving forward. He can't play Cassiopeia. He played Victor in game three into a Vladimir. I don't know how you do that. That, But see, that, that was actually... Uh, um, that he was got actually, destroyed! Right, but Victor was considered like a, a counter earlier on in the split to Victor. Yeah, or, pre-nerfs, sure. Yeah, to Vladimir. Like, he was considered a counter. And yeah, I, I guess if you can't play Cassiopeia, you're going to go to one of the other counters. I'm a little shocked that he didn't go to Anivia. Yeah, well... Because Anivia hasn't been nerfed he, it, as, as hard as Victor was. So that was kind of a little awkward... And, you know, why didn't they go to Anivia, which is something else that he's played. Um, or, he's like, you know, it, Malzahar it, exists. Malzahar tends to be a good counter to Vladimir. Yeah, That's something yeah, that we saw pulled off well in other regions. Like, there are other options that are not a champion that has been nerfed, not necessarily into the ground. Azir was nerfed into the ground. But Victor was nerfed to the point where we shouldn't be seeing him in competitive play anymore. And there's no other region bringing him out in for good reason. I, I mean, there's the, he played two champions that you aren't seeing. We have, we didn't see LeBlanc anywhere else, did we? I don't remember seeing him in either the NA or the European fi- playoffs at all. Maybe in China, or you know, because they one day had ten to games in their regional regional qualifiers. Like, but yeah, it was it, it, some janky picks. But that's also part of the unicorns of love 
mythos is that they play some janky stuff. You never quite know what they're going to play. And um, I have to give Sheepy a, a bit of credit for the playoffs in general that he was okay and he was much better than we gave him credit for typically. At the beginning of the split, you know, we, we crucified the guy saying that he wasn't on the same level as other people. But, you know, he navigated this team into a third place match and they won a game in every single series. They took a game off of G2. They took a game off of H2K. Uh, they have a chance now in the gauntlet. You know, they start out with Giants, who they already beat in the actual playoffs. You know, they start with them, then they'll move on potentially to Fnatic, and then the last team will be Splice. So we'll we'll see how they go from there. But Cheapy is... Sheepy has proven that he's not the worst coach in Europe. Let, let's put it that way. Oh, certainly not. And I think he did the best with what he had. I just think that we're now seeing the flaws in their plan. I think we're mm-hmm. seeing that they're underestimating certain things because they feel like they need to carry through Vizichachi because Veritas is not a carry. And Exile's pool is limited, which means he can be exploited in pick and ban phase, which is exactly what H2K did. Unfortunately, I think H2K gave a blueprint as to how you stop the Unicorns of Love. And it's easy to say, oh, well, G2 stopped them the previous week. G2 stops everybody. And that's what we're going to get to with the finals. G2 versus Splice. Walter, we had so much hope for this Splice team. Where did we go wrong? What did we not see that became clear because when we looked into our crystal ball last week, the thing we thought we were going to be saying is, man, isn't Wonder so great as a top laner? Isn't Narg wonderful? And not only did they not pick it even when it was up, but it did not seem like that was going to be the story of the game no matter what happened. So what did happen? Why? How did we get here? So to quote the great Run DMC, mm-hmm. this speech is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock a rhyme that's right on time. It's tricky in the title. Here we go. <laughs> it's tricky. <laughs> it's trick. Let's let's be honest. Like trick, trick, <laughs> kind of stopped that entire series. And uh, I wonder. It, Splice never went to help Wonder. They never went to try and get Wonder this massive lead, except in except in game two. But they abandoned that plan. Pretty outright, and Trick was like, I know what your win condition is. It's to get Wonder ahead. They never put him on, you know, they waited until the very last game in the the series to put him on a champion that actually is a split push credible threat. Yeah, I get Shen. He has two teleports. He can get across the map. Blah, blah, blah. He wave clears like an 80-year-old man. Let's be honest. Mm. Unless you're building Tiamat and going like Ravenous Hydra, he wave clears like an 80-year-old man. So that's not the type of champion that Wonder has been successful on all season. And when you're forced to go to that champion in game four, Trick was just like, <laughs> you pick you pick Fiora and I have a Shed and I'm Elise and good luck ever getting away from us. So I, I thought Splice really walked away from what their win condition was in the playoffs and, and throughout most of the regular season. They abandoned it. They just completely abandoned that win condition and... and only when their hand was completely forced did they actually play to what was successful for them uh, throughout the split. And and Trick just outplayed Trashy. He outpressured Trashy early on, which is what you know we sort of expected. That's not where Trashy excels. He doesn't really excel in this early game in, uh, of having a super, super high intensity of pressure. 
And I feel like they also kind of handicap Trashy a little bit by constantly taking the Rek'Sai over Gragas. That was like their priority. And I get Rek'Sai is a very, very good champion. But Trashy's an exceptionally good Gragas. And I think you made this point to me either through text or tweet or whatever. And, and the more I thought about it, the more you were correct. That the advantage that you get by taking Trick off of, off of Rek'Sai is not so much that it makes up for the fact that it's not Trashy's primary champion. If you rank both of these guys and which which champion are they best at, you're going to go, okay, well, Trick, it's Rek'Sai, and Trashy, it's Gragas. So why prioritizing the Rek'Sai just to keep it out of Trick's hands? It makes sense on paper to try to do that, but at the same time, it doesn't make sense in theory because Rek'Sai is more early game dominated, you know, much more the the early aggressive plays where Gragas is more about late, t- you know, getting into the late game, getting into peeling for your carries and, and all that jazz. And I just don't think it was very efficient use of, of their jungler either. And you want to know what the fun fact is? The game they won, Trashy had Gragas. What do you know? Mm-hmm. It seems like trusting in your own win condition is more important than being terrified of your opponent. And I do think... If I had to summarize where Splice's problem was in this game, I think they were scared of G2. Which, to be fair, G2 is a scary team. Trick is the two-time MVP. They are now two-time champions. They are Europe's best and possibly only hope of really making a splash when it comes to Worlds. No offense to H2K. It's just very hard when you look at the Chinese and Korean and even Southeast Asian teams that they're likely to run into to say that they're going to be ahead at that 15 to 20 minute mark enough times that they can decisively close out games when they struggle when games are even or less. But G2 has a lot of things going for them. Splice does too, they just forgot. And that's the thing that at the end of the day, I I agree with you wholeheartedly on. They did not play towards their win condition. They played towards what the meta said their win condition should be, which was... We need to have Shen at all times because the double teleport's really good. And you know what? In game two, it was. In games one and three, it wasn't. It just didn't do anything for the team because that team is not built for these huge team fight, Ulten with the Shen, and then have the initiation from the rest of your team. The initiator has usually been Wonder himself on the Gnar. That's what he does. He ults in, knocks a whole bunch of people up, and gets the stuns himself, and then the rest of the team follows through. It's like suddenly they decided, no, 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 we're not going to let you do that. We're not going to let Trashy have the displacement that we've been counting on. Instead, we're going to try an entirely different way to team fight that plays perfectly into how G2 likes the team fight. And to me, that's a lack of confidence more than anything else. I thought from the pick and ban phase to how they played these games once the game actually started... I thought it was a complete lack of confidence in this team. When Shen and Nar were both up, Splice prioritized Shen. Yeah, every time. And I will, I will never, uh, unless I talk to the amount of canon and their analysts, I, I just won't understand that. Why, are, are you so afraid of expects teleport decision making that, that that's, that's what your fear is? Like You're putting your best player into this sort of losing matchup. Which maybe maybe it's even, but then if it's even, you need to send your jungler up there to to push it into your advantage because Nar is always going to outpush the Shen. He's yeah. always going to be able to harass the Shen down. You have to get your Shen 
into his ar- into at least an, uh, you know two armor items or at least into two tank items before Nar finishes you know his cleaver and his his fro- his frozen mallet. Yeah, you have to get to that point. If if the Nar ever gets ahead on that tempo and has an advantage in terms of the items, you're never going to win that lane. And maybe that's the thought process is, okay, well, we don't want to expect them to be able to accomplish anything with the shield. But who cares? Like, if Nar and Shen are dueling 1v1 for the five minutes leading up into the team fight, you need to trust Wonder to be able to either whittle it on the Shen so much that he's going to be useless in that team fight or to interrupt it. Like, it just... It didn't seem like they had enough confidence in Wonderware, who's really been the crux and the fulcrum of their success for the majority of the last half of the season. And it it just kind of, it it boggles my mind a little bit that they were so willing to throw away what's been working for them just because the meta has shifted a little bit. Well, it it doesn't surprise me at all, to be honest with you, because first of all, I don't think they threw away things because of the meta because we saw them not throw those things away when they beat H2K in five. I think they yeah. were on the big stage. They're in Krakow. It's the first time any of these players have ever been on a stage like that. And they panicked. And they panicked because they were playing G2, and G2 has his pedigree behind him, and everyone talks about him as the monsters of Europe. And for the record, let's not diminish what they did. Trick looked incredible in the series. He absolutely proved why he is the MVP of the split because he oh, yeah. did so many just brilliant things. And it, and it was things as simple as just changing his pathing so that he was at a weird place. I think it was game four where he ganked the mid lane just out of nowhere at like the three and a half minute mark. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what in the world am I watching right now? How do you even think to do that? But he does because he's trick and that's what he does. Oh, it's okay. We're going to talk about another interesting uh, interesting jungle adaption tomorrow on the NA podcast. Oh, yes. Yes, we will. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, and, and you look at perks, and I have my complaints about perks. I tweeted my complaints about perks. I talked to Walter a lot about my complaints about perks. The last two games, he, he gave a Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. The second they lost, he was like, all right, I have to put on my tryhard pants. And yeah. he gave a fuck. Well, it, it also helps that he played Vladimir, who he's like, oh, did I go to him again? Oh, let me just hit W and I'm fine. It's like that That changes so much of what Perks' strategy is. Because when he plays Echo, even in the Echo game they won, like I'm an Echo player. He's my favorite champion in the whole game. And I'm not any good, I, just to be clear. But I have had the exact same face that I'm sure he did when he entered in the base from that weird flank in game one and immediately was like, oh, f**k, I have no way out of this. I have no plan for this. My chrono break puts me in tower aggro. Like, this is – everything has gone wrong. Like, every Echo player has been there, but most Echo players aren't on the stage about to win a seed in the world's. It just was a very funny kind of thing for me. He just he goes ham all the time, and when I'm it works, sure every player has been in that experience. It's just you don't have as many tools as an echo player to get out of it. So when an echo player gets well, you stuck in that if he situation, didn't e into the situation, like if he had his e to back out, he would have been fine. If he had his flash to back out, he would have been fine. He spent both to try to kill someone that he couldn't kill. 
It was, it was ridiculous. It was one of the most fun sequences. I just, I was texting you. You're like, I think you're too hard on Perks. I think you're a hater. And then he did that play and you're like, never mind. Like it was just immediate, just justification. But you know what? When he plays things that he is genuinely comfortable with and he plays to his outs, he looks great. And I don't know if we could say anything more about Sven and Mithy. Sven went 8-1-20 on Jin in the last game. Superhuman. And, and, and for the record, Mithy, of all the people we're talking about, Mithy is the MVP of the series because he had a Tom Kench that single-handedly won game three. And I understand yeah. single-handedly is, is a thing that people no, say that too was strongly. Single-handed. That was single-handedly. Let's not pull punches. That was single-handedly. He destroyed everything Splice wanted to build. That was the one game in which I thought, you know, Shen, Rek'Sai, whatever, you can make that work. They had a global presence. They had the Malzahar, and then suddenly, you know, Mithy's like, oh, Tom Kench. It was so bad that they forced Splice to pick it for Sertation. Yeah, they did. But I don't think Mike, I don't think Mickey's very good at the champion. No, he's not. Zero eight two. It was really bad. It's like a point two five KDA. That shouldn't happen at this stage. But you know, well, I'm, I think I, I'm just talking about the the regular season. Yeah, he only played it twice, and they're one and one, and he had three deaths and five assists. So he's yeah, not very good at the champion. He's like, not. He's not. But but that's how scared they were. And, and and that to me, at the end of the day, the lesson is G two is worth being scared of. But that doesn't mean U.S. play should play scared. No one at Worlds, when, when you play, you know, you imagine an H2K, right? If H2K was the one in that finals, granted, they aren't because they weren't better than Splice, but if they were, they don't play scared. They lose. They probably still lose, maybe even just as much, if not more, but they don't play as scared as Splice did. Splice was afraid of their own success. Splice was afraid of, if we play our game, G2's just going to be better at it than us and we're going to just lose. So we have to try to play something that we're not. And as I have always said as a coach and as I've always said as an analyst, you are much better off playing to your win condition than playing not to lose. Because as soon as you're playing not to lose, it's over. Because the other team is playing to win. And they're going to pick on all these things. And every time you're playing not to lose, when you make a mistake, you panic more and more and more. And that's all Game 4 was. Game 4 was a panic attack happening on stage. And, you know, I I get it. And it's unfortunate for them. Luckily, they have a chance to redeem themselves in these finals. So let's talk some regional matchups, Walter. This is going to be a little bit faster because we only have one matchup we can actually talk about. And then we have two more teams that we kind of have to just get into how we see these things feeling out. As we mentioned before, as far as our Guess the Lions contest is concerned, I am up 16 to 11 right now. It is not technically over. It will be over if I win any one of these outright. But Walter can tie once and win five times and we would end up being even. And we go game by game. So if you want to keep up with the challenge itself, you better stick to at Rough Drafts Pod. That's where we'll be tweeting all of this out for you fans of the podcast so you can keep up with who's winning, who's losing, and whether or not I will secure my right to change his Twitter profile pick to whatever I want. So we're only going to do one of those today. It will be worth a full point. And that game is Unicorns of Love versus Giants Gaming. Walter, it's kind of deja vu for us. We were talking about this. Literally three weeks ago, 
Is there anything that's changed in your mind from the matchup that we saw three weeks ago? Maybe Giants have learned how to play standard lanes. Maybe. I doubt it, but maybe <laughs> they have. Maybe maybe Sonstar and Smitty J have learned, like, oh, I actually have to be good at the game now and can't hide behind this this land swap meta that we, you know, sort of cheese to get us into the late game where we're actually good at the game. I don't say that salty, Lee. I don't say, like, that's the truth. That's what it is. Neither of them are very good in, uh, in standard laning setups. So, um, yeah, I don't think anything's changed. I think this will probably be, like, you know, a 3-1 in Unicorn of Love's favor. Um, I think they're just smarter. I think they're more intelligent. I think their champion pools are a little stronger. Um, the the tank supports definitely fall more in, in Hillisong's favor, in my opinion. Um, I'm surprised we never saw Tarek out of Unicorns of Love, actually. Yeah, that was I'm very, pick. I'm very surprised that we didn't see that from Hillisong. That seems like that'd be that, that's a very good pick for them. Um, I was waiting for it in both series. I think Europe in general is underrating Tarek quite a bit. And I'm waiting for them to catch up because guess what? If you like Tom Kench, you'll probably also like Tarek. I feel like I'm a Netflix subscription right now. Like, I promise <laughs> you, they do a lot of the same things. And you're, if you're going to like one, you're probably going to like the other. And it's going to do similar things for your team. You're going to feel great. Just trust me. It's, got, it's well-reviewed by your friends over in North America and Korea. Your, your top suggestion. <laughs> what is the equivalent you. of Tom Kench and Tarek on, on, on Netflix? Is it like if you like Top Chef, you love America's Next Top Model? Is that is that where we're going to? Well, no, I think it's I think it's more like if you like Castle, you'll probably also like NCIS. Like they're basically the same show with a slightly different tone, but you're still watching two cop shows. Like that's fair. NCIS came before Castle. I'm ashamed that you would lead with Castle. I am ashamed of you that you would lead with Castle. Two words: Nathan Fillion. End of argument. End of argument. Mark Hammond. Look, we're going to have to save the actors on TV crime show <laughs> podcast for another time. As much fun as I think people would have listening to that. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on this. The thing for me about Giants is I believe that Smitty J can have some good games. I also remember Smitty J having some shitty days, as the casters once said. I think that Maxlor has shown a propensity to make some good Elise moments. I think he struggles on the Rek'Sai's and Gragas's that have been so prevalent in this meta. And while some people will say that Elise is that tier, I think Elise is just a step below because I think Elise falls off so heavily late. And is Maxlor really the jungler that's going to snowball the game for you? More than likely not. That's just not who he's been. He doesn't quite have the experience to do that unless Move just craps the bed, which is totally in play, by the way. Move has had some games like that. He played Graves in the quarterfinals. Still don't understand how that happens. Uh, I, I think we've shaken uh, him of his habit at that point. So as uh, long as that doesn't happen again, it should be fine. And I don't see Smitty J matching well against Vizichachi. I don't see Sunstar and Hustlin doing any better than Veritas and Hillisang. I think Hillisang outclasses Hustlin in that regard. And, oh, absolutely. And you know what? For all the criticism we gave Veritas for how he played against H2K and against G2, like he kept those lanes a lot closer than they had any right to be. Like the Veritas that we thought we were getting from Unicorns of Love going into the season gets smashed in that lane. He just lost the lane. It could have been a lot worse. Sunstar gets crushed in either of those lanes. 
So we're it's all a matter of scale at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And, and the one key that you have is Knight. And Knight had that amazing Echo game that I'm going to remember forever because someone played mid lane Assassin Echo and it was beautiful and didn't make me have to, you know, be terrified of potentially diving into the enemy base when all the inhibitor towers are still up like I do when I have to watch Perks play it. But, you know, it's... I don't think that's enough in this meta. I think that Unicorns of Love are not going to be caught out by the Echo again. And I don't think that Giants have a deep enough champion pool that they can spend the bans that H2K and G2 did in order to really penalize... Exile for his champion pool mishaps. So I ask you, Walter, with everything on the line for you, you have to win from here on out. Where do you think the line is on this series? I I throw in the white flag. I'm probably not gonna do this. This is this is nay impossible, but I'm gonna start out with Unicorns of Love at minus three thirty-three. Wow. Okay, I win this and yep, the content. Yep, yeah. Yeah. GG well played, sir. I mean, still follow the Rough Drafts pod to see how close you can make it because, you know, it, it, consolation prizes are a thing, kind of. Not really. No, but it's, no there are no participation medals <laughs> in any Rough Drafts. I just like guessing odds, so we're just going to do it anyway. Oh, I'm but, still going to guess them, but... But yeah, you were so far off. I said Unicorns of Love minus 170. It's minus 175. That's a 64% win percentage that Unicorns of Love win this series. Giants were the three seed in the regular season. Like, I, I understand that they had one bad showing, but they've had a lot of time to watch film. They have two more weeks of Unicorns of Love film, including the week, you know, and not including the week that they played them, to analyze it, figure out what they went wrong, figure out where the meta is. So the coaching advantage of Sheepy over Lozark isn't as big of a deal as it was. You got to at least give them a chance. We'll see. I mean, what this does for us, Walters, we could take Unicorns of Love at minus one and a half at plus 125. Oh, that's wonderful. So yeah, I think I that's our... That uh, that's three one or better. Yeah, that's... There you go. I'll that's take that a lot of day. leeway there. Because uh, I think that is... I think this is a 3-1 series. I think Knight wins yeah. one. Yeah. I think it's going to be just like what happened last time. I think it's very hard for me to see Unicorns of Love just stomping because I think Giants do have some fight in them. I also find it very hard to believe that Giants are going to be able to pull off the upset just because they haven't shown any propensity to succeed in this kind of meta. They didn't do well in standard lanes even before that was the meta when it was between lane swaps or not. The gap was massive in that regard. So I don't have much faith in it. I do have a lot of faith in our Unicorns of Love bet. Hopefully, we'll start bringing some money back for you guys. We'll do smart money bets for all of the series, again, at Rough Drafts Pod. Let's go over these last two teams that are in this tournament. Fnatic. What do we even say about Fnatic after that 0-3 demolishing at the hands of H2K? Blow it up. <laughs> that Blow bad. it up. Yeah, I think the only person you keep is kick is uh may it kick us in forbidden. Ah, see I think you blow the rest up. You're not keeping spirit. Spirit's gone. I mean you're not keeping spirit because he's going back to China or Korea. 
Because why would he want to stay here? You just lied to him. You lied to his face when you said, we will pick up Gamson. Okay, okay, no, no, no. We'll make you a package deal. No, no, no. I'm I'm cutting that right off. So who gives a He does. Spirit does. That's fine. And Spirit's the one who has to resign. He can go go be a big baby about it, that they benched his his friend, that his friend wasn't playing very well. He can do that. Players have to remember this is a business. And they're making business decisions. And And, Gamsu was not performing. And if Kikis did any better than Gamsu, then you'd have a leg to stand on. But he didn't. Kikis has not looked great. His stats stats are not bearing out. 20, though. But when when you're your worst player outside of Yellow Star. Because Yellow Star has been god-awful, and I really hope to God he retires and goes does he's, anything else. He's terrible. He was terrible. He was terrible. Game. But Gamsu was also pretty awful. I saw nothing from Gamsu that was like, yeah, this is the guy that I need to be a world champion. They were second in Europe. That's all they needed. Had they been that team, still now, they'd be fine. And they would have gotten crushed in standard lane meta. As they Couldn't got have been worse than they did. Could not have been worse. It literally, literally couldn't have been worse than a 3-0. Yeah, it was and not only a 3-0, a pathetic 3-0. It and, was pathetic. And, and that's honestly... I mean, whatever you want to say about it, this is the team they have now. And the team they have now is not good. They looked absolutely atrocious. They don't seem to have any synergy. I don't know whether Gamsu is part of communications or whatever else, but Kikis looks off. Their teleports are terrible. Fabivin was playing Lissandra and forgetting that he had a teleport for most of the game, which is kind of amazing when flanking as Lissandra is the only thing you ever do as a Lissandra. Yellowstar looks like the worst support in this tournament. I don't know. Is there any reason to believe that things turn around for them? Or is Daylor being gone the nail in the Fnatic coffin? No, I, Daylor, is the, Daylor being gone is the nail in the Fnatic coffin. I'm, I'm, this team isn't going anywhere. Maybe, maybe they beat Unicorns of Love. There's a chance, but this team looked absolutely atrocious in the quarterfinals. Reckless has looked mediocre over the course of the entire split. You said it. Top lane's been in shambles. The support's been in shambles. Fabivan has not been the Fabivan of old, and he, he truly looks like a player who does not give a shit about what's going on right now. He looks like a guy that's just showing up on the Rift every day to collect a paycheck. Spear looks like the only one who cares, um, and I just don't think that's enough. And let's put it this way, right? Thorin's had to write two letters to players. The first was forgiven after he quit. The second was forbidden after that terrible display in which he basically told forbidden to grow a pair and start playing like the player that he needs to be. And maybe that's how they do it. Maybe they just decide to put forbidden on super hard carries, put him on things like LeBlanc or Echo, and just say, we are going to let forbidden be an assassin and stop trying to make him utility for the rest of the team. Stop putting him on things like Lissandra. And maybe that changes some things. Maybe that draws enough attention that you can't punish Kikis as hard or you can't punish Reckless as hard. I don't know. It's their only shot. So I have to believe that's what they're going to do. But it's like a shot at a dartboard that's 30 feet away and you're blindfolded backwards and you have to do it underneath your legs. Like that's where we're at right now. <laughs> like, like it could hit, theoretically. <laughs> It's I don't not think impossible. It's that bad, but yeah, I, I mean, pretty, it's pretty bad compared to the other teams in this tournament. Because even if they somehow won this series, they'd have to play Splice. Yeah, is Splice at the point where we can say that they can safely dismantle whatever team comes out of here, barring some religious level miracle happening on Fnatic? Yeah, 
Like this is this is like the the turnaround that Fnatic and I say it has to be Fnatic because I think Fnatic has exceptionally talented players at four positions. Sorry, Yellow Star, you aren't exceptionally talented anymore. Please retire for the <laughs> for the love of God. Please retire. You're done, dude. Like if you don't make worlds, just retire, please. If you make worlds, retire. Like let 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 uh oh God, what was their backup support's name that went off to? I forget. He's he's now on their Fnatic challenger roster, whatever his name is. Let 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 him play. Like Yellowstar, you're done, dude. Like play your one game at Worlds, so you're now the only guy that's been to you know six World Championships in a row. And please go off into this that good night. Like just just go to bed. You're done. You're done. I hate watching you now. You're awful. You're awful. You you stayed one one year too long, buddy. Like you have massively damaged your legacy, in my opinion. Ah, uh, um, see, that's not fair. I'm, I'm going to stop I that. Mass, I think it's massively damaged his legacy. Well, it's how poorly he's played. N- nothing Oklahoma. that's going to happen this split is going to take away from the fact that he's one of two players that have ever reached five world championships. That's, that's never going to change. It's never going to change that he was, for his time, the best support in the West for two to three years in a row, depending on who you ask. Nothing changes that. I hate this idea that a legacy is tainted because you stayed one year too long. That does not change the other five years that went down. This is why we need people like Thorin to be esports historians and remind us of this stuff. Because I remember, and I, I used to do this when Froggen was really struggling on that Elements roster. I was like, oh man, it's legacy. And then as people kindly and not so kindly pointed out to me, Froggen has done more in his career as a mid laner. Even if this Echo Fox thing never turns itself around, he's going to retire with his head held high as a first ballot Hall of Famer, and so will Yellowstar. Oh, yeah, of course he is, but there's always going to be that. You're, anytime you bring up Yellowstar, there is now the quote of, he is the worst support I've ever played with from Double F. That is always going to be hanging there. It is always going to exist. And, the, and that's not true for the record. That- Double lift, that was some shade that is absolutely not deserved because Chouster was a thing that existed. Like, let's be clear here. He played with a lot of terrible supports back in the day, if you look at CLG and what their roster was for years. There is no way, I refuse to believe, that he is, that is the worst support he has ever played with. I mean... I'm I'm just taking the quote. I understand. It's a great quote. That is literally what he said. So whether it's just throwing shade, whether it's what he believes or not, whether he's memeing, I don't really care. That's the quote. Me as a TSM fan, I'm always going to remember thinking that bringing Yellow Star is going to be this massively amazing thing and being so intensely disappointed. Even though we got second. Being so intensely disappointed for ninety percent of that split at watching Yellowstar, and then him go back to Fnatic and him not improve. Literally, he did not play any better on Fnatic. When I thought that that may have been it, well, okay, he just he doesn't he doesn't mesh with Double Lift. Well, he already had proven that he meshed with Reckless, and now he doesn't mesh with Reckless. So I'm just well. What it comes down to is he is the product of an era that never had coaches. He was the first coach, in my opinion. He was the first guy who saw the Rift as a strategic game, as something that could completely and utterly learn, and mastered it 
in a way that was a schooled perspective. Faker understood it naturally. He was a savant. He just immediately saw and was able to take in all these numbers and bring it in. But you already Yellowstone, said the name of the first coach. You said it literally two minutes ago, the name of the first coach of League of Legends. Which was? It was Chouster. Oh, shut up. Stop that. It's serious. Chester was never at the level that Yellowstone oh, was. Oh, we're going to have to have another podcast about this. Because oh, man. That's... I, I can I can understand throwing shade about Chester not being a very good support, but... He wasn't a very good anything. He's one of the worst pro players I in LCS think... history. Whoa! One of the worst. He's Whoa. a meme. He is a meme Whoa. for a reason. Okay. Terrible. We're going to move on from this discussion. <laughs> well, all of this is to say... That we don't have anything more to say about Splice that we didn't say earlier. Because Splice is really good. The rest of these teams all have really huge fundamental flaws. Splice's biggest opponent in this tournament is themselves. Absolutely. That's really Absolutely. what it comes down they to. They have to win one best of five. That's literally all they have to do is they have to win one best of five. And everyone else has a ton, a, a lot more pressure on it. Unicorns of Love, are, Unicorns of Love and, and Giants are going to have to win three of them to get to Worlds. Yeah. Fnatic is going to have to be you know, be one of them and then come against Splice when they have all this pressure on them. They have this expectation of, you know, they are the quintessential League of Legends team. They are the, the you know, season one world champions. They've been to every, uh, you know, Yellow Star has been to every single world. It's like they need to get back to that level. It's an expectation that when you're at Worlds, you're going to see the Fnatic banner. Yeah. And well, unfortunately, Yorick hasn't come out yet, so there's no bringing him back from the grave at this point. <laughs> That's uh, that's where that stands. But I, I, I think that's a podcast. I think we got really <laughs> angry at each other towards the end there. Hopefully, let us know if uh, if you tweet at Rough Drafts Pod. If you agree with me, uh, hashtag Chouster was wrong. And if you agree with Walter, say uh, hashtag Yellow Star was terrible. And let's see where the votes say. Let's just see what the votes say. I want to see how people feel outside of us. And more importantly, let us know what you think about the podcast. We love interacting with you guys, uh, whether it's there or on our personal accounts. I'm at RedshirtKing on Twitter. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? You guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. And of course, you should be sure to follow the podcast itself as well. You can find it at soundcloud.com slash esportsroughdrafts or on iTunes if you search on the podcast section for Rough Drafts. You'll find it. You can subscribe. You can give us a review. You can leave comments. All these things mean a lot to us. So we really appreciate when you guys take the time to do that. Also, you got to go to slingshotesports.com. They're a proud presenting sponsor. They do so much good content, including... One of my articles. Remember that one I mentioned like a month ago? It's on there now. You should go read it. It's pretty good. It's more of like an insider piece looking at, you know, how we handle the interview process in terms of post-game play and, and how much farther we have to go if we're going to be like any of the traditional sports media, for lack of a better phrase, that we see all the time. It, it, it's an interesting think piece in my humble opinion. Uh, I'd love to get your response on that. And while you're there, check out all the other amazing pieces that are on the site. Andrew Kim's doing all of his crazy Korea stuff. You have so many different writers of so many different games. I guarantee you, if there's an eSport that you love, it's being covered and it's covered by someone that's worth reading. So go check that out. And be sure to check us out tomorrow as we go over the North American regionals and see what Walter's been hinting at this entire time when it comes to 
interesting decisions made from junglers. So until then, goodbye, Internet.